0: Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope that this sermon will guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org for more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Thank you, Pastor Adam. Once again, I'm Pastor Corey. I'm the associate minister here at Orange. And this morning, our gospel lesson comes to us from John, chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. Hear now the word of the Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. But Thomas, who was also called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. The word of God for us, the people of God, thanks be to God.
1: Good morning, church. It is so good to see you here this morning and to be back in this place. My name is Brad Inman, and I'm the associate pastor of Youth and Congregational Life here at Orange. And the first thing I wanted to do this morning is say, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I am so excited. I know Easter was last week, but that was just Easter Sunday. The season of Easter continues on for the next 50 days until Pentecost. So we get to keep on celebrating that Christ is risen. Also, it's just one of my favorite calls and responses in the church, so I'm really excited to do it every year. Uh, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Last Sunday was Easter Um, And as we move forward for the next six weeks, we're going to kick off a new sermon series called Beyond the Tomb, where we go on and take a look at the different appearances that Jesus made to the people uh, after his resurrection and before his ascension into heaven. I don't usually get to kick off sermon series, so I'm really excited. I think this shows trust, which... They haven't seen me in three weeks. They shouldn't be trusting me right now, but I'm really excited, Um, and I want to hop straight into our passage today, just hop straight into the scripture. We see that Jesus appears to two different groups of disciples one week apart. At first, he appears to a group of disciples on the evening of Easter Sunday. They've gathered together, and they've locked themselves in a house for safety. Uh, It wasn't the full 11 disciples, Thomas wasn't there, and there were likely some disciples who were not part of the original 12, but Jesus appeared among them, and then they believed. A week later, Jesus does the same thing again. A group of disciples have gathered in a locked house for safety, and this time, Thomas is present. Thomas hadn't believed the disciples when they told him that Jesus had come and appeared with them, and that he was risen. He wanted to experience Jesus' presence for himself, and it wasn't until he reached out and felt Jesus' glorified, resurrected body that he could actually believe. And then for the rest of history, that's him doubting Thomas. Christians and non-Christians alike know him as doubting Thomas. But I think there's something going on beyond In this story, beyond just being a story to humiliate and make an example of dear old Tommy, Um, if we walk away from this experience only thinking that we just need a little bit more blind faith, I think we've missed something. Jesus said that the people who can believe without seeing are blessed, but no one in this story has that blind faith. They all believed because they experienced the living Jesus. And yet they they leave believing that Jesus is the son of God who died for their sins and rose again from the dead and their lives are changed forever. They too were blessed. So let's look at this a little bit deeper. Uh, Last week, Pastor Adam helped us understand the joy of Peter and John as they discovered the empty tomb and of Mary as she looked up in the garden and saw Jesus in her midst. But the disciples, other disciples, had not yet seen Jesus or the tomb yet. Some heard from Peter and John and Mary what they had seen that Easter morning, but it's clear that many did not yet believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. And so Adam also did a great job last week of helping us feel the despair of Good Friday and Holy Saturday. And for many of the disciples, that despair and confusion went well into Easter evening and probably some even for weeks beyond that before they actually saw Jesus and believed the good news of the resurrection. For many in these group of disciples gathered in the house, Jesus was still dead. They hadn't understood his predictions of his own resurrection and their worlds had been turned upside down. They were still processing their new reality And as we all well know now, it takes time to process new realities. So here we have that first group of disciples. They're gathered together in a home, hiding. They're scared for their lives. They're dejected. They're trying to process, still trying to make sense of what all has happened. They're anxious about the future. They're whispers of hope. But enough to truly believe? They've seen Jesus do some incredible things, but rising from the dead after three days? I mean, even for Jesus, that's asking a lot. Would you be so quick to believe? I don't think I would. I'd I'd want to protect myself and make sure before I gave myself permission to hope. One of my favorite movies of all time is the Shawshank Redemption It's a movie about a man named Andy who is sentenced to prison for life for killing his wife, though he maintains his innocence. In prison, Andy forms a friendship with another man named Red, and their friendship becomes an incredible thing. Um, After several years in prison, Red has been rejected for parole again, and he meets with his friend Andy, and Andy tells him to keep up hope. But Red responds sternly, and he says, Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. Sorry, I know I'm no Morgan Freeman. That wasn't the best reading of those lines. Uh, But Red's point is this, that hope can be a light in the darkness, but misplaced hope can be even more devastating than no hope at all. The disciples hear Peter and John and Mary's testimony, but is it enough to hope in and risk being hurt all over again? If the disciples are anything like me and like Red, then they're going to be cautious and slow to truly believe. They're still also anxious, scared, and confused. But then Jesus shows up, hope bursts into the room. Not only was their friend and their teacher back, but the entire oppressive blanket of fear, anxiety, and confusion is lifted. And in its place is peace and hope. All that processing, all that, what does it mean? All that sadness in the brightness of Jesus's face and in the warmth of his voice, it's all gone. And Jesus doesn't just stop there Jesus doesn't just bring back their old normal. He gives them new life and new purpose. In verse 22, it says that Jesus breathed on them. Don't breathe on people. Don't do it. But Jesus, in this verse, he breathes on the disciples. In the Bible, breath means life. Breath is the Holy Spirit. God breathed into Adam to bring him to life. It's the breath of God that gives life to the valley of dry bones. And it's breath now that Jesus gives to the disciples. In this moment, Jesus is giving them new life through the Holy Spirit. Jesus has been resurrected, and now he is giving them a spiritual resurrection. This is like a mini Pentecost for the disciples. And not only does Jesus breathe new life into them, but he also gives them new purpose. We're going to talk about that a lot next week, so I'll try not to steal too much of Pastor Adam's thunder. But Jesus sends them out to preach the gospel of the Son of God who died for their sins and then rose again to give new life. These disciples went into that house scared, confused, and anxious. But then they experienced Jesus and they left with new life and a purpose filled with hope for a world that could be if just everyone would hear and believe. But one of their very own could not hear and believe. Thomas, one of the 12, he followed Jesus for years. He heard his teachings. He was with him. He traveled with him. He saw Jesus heal paralytics and exercise demons. He calmed storms. He saw Jesus raise others from the dead, but he couldn't Believe yet that Jesus rose from the dead until he experienced it for himself. We don't know why Thomas doubted. Maybe he thought that his friends were just delirious from how stressful the past week was. Maybe he really did begin to doubt that Jesus was who he said he was. But if I was in Thomas's shoes or sandals, Thomas was just scared. He was refusing to believe because he couldn't deal with the crushing disappointment if it wasn't true. He couldn't afford to let that glimmer of hope into his life and then have it ripped away again. It would just be too devastating. I don't think Thomas was some faithless simpleton. I think he was scared. And more importantly, I think Jesus understood that If you read it carefully, Jesus doesn't actually reprimand Thomas. He doesn't blame Thomas for doubting. He blesses those with abnormally strong faith. When Jesus chastised people before his death for having so little faith, it was people who had seen him perform several miracles but still didn't believe that he was sent by God the Father. He reprimands the people because they should know better. They're people who should already believe. He doesn't do that with Thomas. Jesus understands that what Thomas is feeling is natural. It's not abnormal. I tell our youth all the time that feelings are not inherently good or bad in and among themselves. It's just part of being human. And Jesus was human. He was God too. That's another sermon. But he felt angry. He felt sad. He felt hungry. He felt happy. Just like every other human being, he understands our feelings. Jesus doesn't ever say, don't feel anger. He tells us that when we feel anger, we need to respond with grace, forgiveness, and reconciliation. It's what we do with our feelings that matters. And I think Jesus is giving Thomas that same grace here. Jesus understands Why? Thomas has doubted his resurrection, so he gives him what he needs to move past it. In this way, doubt is like a feeling. It's natural to have and not inherently good or bad. It's what you do with it that matters. If your doubt pushes you toward God, if it prompts you to read scripture, to ask your pastor's questions, to pray out to God for guidance, then doubt can be a strong motivational engine that drives your faith forward and makes it stronger. Doubt can make you reach out for Jesus, like Thomas reached out to Jesus. But doubt can also push you away from God. If you let that doubt paralyze you, if it keeps you from reaching out to Jesus from fear, if you let it sit, and you just let it neglect, lay in neglect, and you let it grow, then it can become a wedge that pushes you away from God. Jesus doesn't ridiculed Thomas for needing to reach out and touch him. He gives him what he needs to believe. Those who see without believing do possess great faith, and they will be blessed. We should strive to have that kind of faith. But those who feel doubt and respond by reaching out to God can also experience Jesus and have their lives changed. Believing in Jesus without experiencing his presence is hard. I went to a youth ministry conference back in November, and one of the breakout sessions was taught by a guy named Mark Ostriker, who actually ended up being our speaker at our youth ski retreat uh, a few months ago at Lake Junaluska. Hashtag squishy fishy. The youth know what I'm talking about. Um, Anyway, Mark has been in youth ministry for several decades, and his session was about how he's adapted And changed his youth ministry over the years from what he grew up with to what he started doing when he started youth ministry. And finally, what he's doing now. And it really hit home for me because the adaptations that he described were identical to the ones that I've been discovering through my admittedly young ministry career. But it was seriously like he stole my non-existent work diary um, and transformed it into a much more cohesive and clear, coherent presentation. But one of the main points was this. It's that in the past, when a youth pastor was trying to help a young person believe in Jesus, he taught him everything that he knew about Jesus until that student accepted it as truth. Then they would believe and then they would change their behavior and their lives would be changed. Truth was the catalyst to change. Now, Mark argues students need to experience God first, and then their lives will change, and then they'll learn the truth. They'll accept the truth. In other words, they're Thomases. They can hear the truth from Peter, John, and Mary. Others can tell them about how Jesus has appeared and transformed their lives, and those things are helpful. But until they experience Jesus for themselves, belief can be really difficult. It's hard to go all in on someone whose presence you've never experienced before. And I don't think it's just youth. And Jesus acknowledges that. He doesn't scold Thomas. He calls him into action. He says, here, touch my wounds, reach out and believe. Even John Wesley, one of the founders of Methodism, had doubt after kind of, Flaming out on his ministry in Georgia, he responded to England depressed. Not only had his ministry not gone as expected, but he doubted whether God had really forgiven him. He didn't doubt God's existence or his love, but he doubted whether he had truly accepted God's grace and been forgiven. John Wesley felt alone. He reached out to God in his doubt and he tried to experience him in new ways. And one day while he was listening to a sermon at Aldersgate, he felt his heart, as we now know, strangely warmed. In that moment, he felt God's presence and peace and he believed. The difference between the disciples who Jesus appeared to on Easter Sunday and Thomas was simple. The disciples experienced Jesus' resurrection, and Thomas did not. So they believed, and Thomas didn't. They could talk to Thomas until they were blue in their face, but it would not be enough. John Wesley listened to a hundred sermons. He lived a life of ministry and still felt doubt. And then he experienced the presence of Jesus in him and believed. Sometimes I think that we forget a very simple truth, that belief is hard, and doubt is natural. Many can't believe in Jesus until they experience his presence. And for that reason, actually, our testimonies and our sermons and our encouragement can be powerful tools. I do not mean to downplay their importance one bit. In fact, they're critical, because I believe that we can help people experience Jesus. We can't make it happen, but we can help. Again, that's actually the charge that Jesus sends us out with. We can tell people about our experiences with Jesus, not to convince them or to prove them, but to give them the the encouragement and the confidence to reach out to Jesus, to tell them to give hope a chance. We can point them the right direction and showing them how God is already working in their lives, And they just may not be seeing it. We can help people experience Jesus when we love them radically. When when we love people with the same radical love that Jesus has for us, we share with him, we share Jesus with him, we share him with others and open their hearts to the possibility that this God they've heard about who loves so extravagantly may just be real because they've gotten a taste. And most importantly, We can pray. My greatest prayer for the youth, and I tell them this all the time, is that they would experience God in their lives in an undeniable way. That Jesus would come into the room, grab their hands, and put it on his side. And that their lives would be changed forever. We can pray this prayer for people who are struggling with doubt and unbelief. I can't give you a guidebook on how to experience Jesus, I, I can, kind of. You know what I mean. But there's no how-to manual to create that strangely warmed feeling. But there are plenty, plenty of practices for how to start reaching out, and there's a promise for when you do. The practices are endless. You can look for God in the silence, in the quiet. You can look for him in nature, You can cry out to him in your lowest and your most frustrated and your most angry. You can celebrate with him in your highest of highs. You can sing out with all you've got. You can serve others boldly and extravagantly. And I think you can feel God through that connection of service. You can accept the love of family and friends around you and feel the shadow of his love through them. In the words of Pastor Adam, you can look up wherever you are. And God's promise is this in Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For anyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. If you look up, you'll find him. Maybe not right away and maybe not in the way that you expect him to show up or even want him to show up. But if you reach out your hand in faith, he will be there. This story isn't about Thomas being a bad disciple. It's a story that shows us what happens when people experience the risen Jesus. Lives are changed. Despair, anxiety, and fear flee and hope, peace, encourage, take their place. The story tells us that believing isn't easy and accepting hope can be terrifying. We don't all have the faith to believe without seeing, but we can look up. We can reach out. And Jesus says that he will be there for us. And when we experience him, our lives will be changed. God will fill us with that breath of new life, and of purpose. We were locked in a house, scared, anxious, and afraid. And after experiencing Jesus, we leave changed forever with purpose of helping others experience God's presence. If you haven't yet experienced Jesus in a way that has changed you, don't let doubt keep you from continuing to reach out. Let it propel you forward. Look up. Keep seeking after him, and you will find him. My testimony may not be enough to propel you into faith, but I hope it can give you the courage to continue reaching out to God and to keep looking. And if you have found him, live into your purpose. Live into your given mission. Help others experience God's presence. Encourage them. Testify as to how God has changed your life. Love extravagantly. Serve and pray. Thomas doubted, and then he reached out, and Jesus was there. Jesus had risen. Jesus is risen. Reach out, breathe in, and go. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your presence here among us. We pray that you would make your presence so real. That there are some who have never experienced your presence, God. We pray that they would feel that today. We pray that you would continue to give them the courage and the hope to reach out to you, to feel you, and to have their lives changed. God, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus for the one who does change lives, for the one who has changed lives, for the one who gives us breath, new life, and purpose. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's sermon, and please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.